This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First off, it's free, 100% free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. It couldn't be easier. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, what's up, everybody? Chris Trapasso here from CBSSports.com. Today is Wednesday, November 7th, and you are listening to episode 10 of the Prospect Podcast. Starting today with Joe Burrow from LSU, ahead of his gigantic game in Tuscaloosa against Tua Tagovailoa and this Alabama Crimson Tide team. This is going to be a fascinating game for a lot of reasons. There's, as usual, a ton of NFL talent on the field. And from these storied SEC programs, this is the most offensively gifted that I think we've seen either of these two teams maybe ever in a matchup against these two schools. So it's going to be probably almost every general manager in from the NFL in attendance at this game. A lot of directors of college scouting, tons of scouts, and rightfully so. But I want to talk about something that you need to watch with Joe Burrow, and it pertains to him as a quarterback prospect. It's a flaw that I noticed while going back to rewatch some LSU games earlier this season from him. He started tremendously. He's completing almost 80% of his passes, almost 11 yards per attempt, with 30 touchdowns and four interceptions. That has led to really a meteoric rise up, up draft boards. I've had him going number one overall in my last two mock drafts, and that's more so what I think will happen um, instead of what I would do as a general manager of all the teams. I noticed that with Joe Burrow, He's good moving inside the pocket. He's accurate. He checks a lot of boxes beyond just the stat sheet. But when he has to get to his second read, when his first read isn't open, he tends to morph into a running back and will leave some clean pockets. And it's easy to kind of gloss over those plays because he is pretty athletic and he's a good scrambler. So it'll be a third and six. He'll look to his right. The slant won't be there. He'll take off to his left from a relatively clean pocket, pick up the first down, and it looks like a great play. But over time, in the NFL, that's not how you sustain a successful quarterbacking career. And I'm not taking anything away from Joe Burrow, but he's not Lamar Jackson. He's not going to be a true running threat at the quarterback spot once he hits the pros. And I also have seen him make a lot of great drifts inside the pocket, but it's mostly coming as he's looking at that first read, whether it be Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase, one of his tight ends. 
I think Joe Brady, the passing game coordinator who came over from the Saints, has done an amazing job scheming guys open. And Joe Burrow has shown when that isn't the case, mostly on his first read again, he's been unafraid to let someone like Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase make a play if they even have a little bit of separation. But you got to be able to get to your second and your third read in the NFL. Defenses are going to be able to scheme to stop your first read. And then that's where the process really speeds up and you have to make an extremely quick decision on where you're going to go with the football or what you're going to do with your feet. Are you going to turn parallel to the line of scrimmage and start running? Are you going to stay perpendicular to it with your feet and look to throw? And I think Joe Burrow, for as good as he has been in this 2019 season, I'm a little bit concerned or I haven't seen the high-level plays where he's had to drift inside the pocket while getting to his second read and then making an accurate throw. And a lot of times, it hasn't even been against pressure. He's come off Justin Jefferson and he looks a little unsure of what to do. So watch that aspect of his game against Alabama, the best defense he's going to play this season most likely, and throughout the rest of the college football season for LSU, with which right now looks even if they lose to Alabama over the weekend, is bound to have the Tigers in the college football playoff. All right, shifting gears now to my big board segment. Going to talk about two defenders that are really moving up my board from different conferences, different parts of the country. I'll start with Oregon linebacker Troy Dye. A lot of people thought, including myself, that he was going to enter the 2019 draft. Probably would have been a mid-round pick. And to me, probably would have been a starter or a relatively full-time player right now in the NFL. He decides to come back. He's going to be an older prospect. Oregon's defense is a big reason why that team is 7-1. They've given up some points in a few games, but they've made a lot of plays. And I think Troy Dye, along with his secondary members, is really the quarterback of this defense. He's very long, around 6'3", 6'4", 230-ish pounds, not very heavy, very sleek, frame that fits well with the NFL and rewatching some Oregon games over the past few weeks I've noticed how instinctive he is that not only is he a good athlete I don't know if he's an elite athlete for the position but he has good range in the run game but in coverage he notices what's happening in front of him and behind him in coverage almost a split second faster than everyone else on the field he is very comfortable in coverage because he's a smooth athlete He recognizes that there's a crosser behind him and can get to it, that if he needs to play the hitch at the numbers in coverage. And if you've read my work over the past couple years, seen me on Twitter, you've noticed that I have really shifted gears and placed a huge emphasis on coverage for linebackers. That yes, playing downhill is important, being aggressive, the ability to shed blocks when you're going across the field, sifting through traffic, against the run, also important, but coverage is the most vital element of playing linebacker today. And with his size, his length, and his instincts, his smarts playing the position, his experience at linebacker, I think those are the real parts of Troy Dye's game that really make me excited about him as a prospect. Most boards have him second, third round. I actually think he's a first-round player at this point. And Oregon doesn't really have a tough schedule down the stretch, but I want to see if he continues not only the good play against the run, but the stellar play in coverage as Oregon moves through the Pac-12 schedule and might get into the college football playoff, and if not, plays in a a pretty high-profile bowl game. 
staying on the defensive side, but moving to the Big Ten, Yatir Grossmatos, I talked about him a few weeks ago before Penn State beat Iowa. And going back over the past week or so, like I did, I'd just like to midway point of the season, go back and rewatch some of these top prospects. I've been very impressed with his overall skill set at the edge rusher spot that he's young and he looks like he could add about 10 or 15 pounds to his frame. And he's already listed at 6'5 and 265 pounds. I've said that he looks like Miles Garrett the year before his final season at Texas A&M. But I see good burst, almost elite burst off the line of scrimmage. I think he can bend pretty well for an edge rusher his size. And being so young, it's impressive to me that he knows how to use his hands and he swipe move, rip move, swim move to get inside, outside, bull rush is there too. It's not a crazy good bull rush, but he does convert some of that burst and speed off the snap to power. So he's not a finished product yet. I think someone obviously like Chase Young with the amount of pass rushing moves that he has and the bull rushing ability is more polished. But Yatir Grossmatos from Penn State, I think is being undervalued overall right now and is someone I'm really excited about as well at the edge rusher spot in this 2020 draft. All right, moving over now to wide receiver watch. You know all the big name receivers in this draft class. A few of them are going to be playing in the LSU Alabama game over the weekend. There's T. Higgins at Clemson. There's LaVisca Chenault at Colorado, Jalen Rager, TCU. I want to talk about a super deep sleeper. He's only a junior playing in the Pac-12 on a middle-of-the-road team, Isaiah Hodgins from Oregon State. He already has 12 touchdowns on the season. He's big. He's 6'3", 6'4", around 205, 210 pounds, so he's a big body. He catches everything. He might be, and probably is, the best contested catch high-point receiver when you're factoring in his catch radius as well in all of college football. He had seven catches for 150 yards and two touchdowns against Arizona over the weekend. One was a nasty double move. It was an out and up. Um, He showed some flashes of yards after the catch ability. Had a catch where he just caught a, a crossing route, short crosser against Arizona, made two or three defenders miss, got the first down. I went into the year, and I do remember watching him over the summer, thought he was a little bit stiff and had problems sinking to get out of his breaks. He looks quicker and sharper as a route runner this season for the Beavers. Isaiah Hodgins, if he decides to declare, I think he'll fit into the middle of the draft, third, fourth, fifth round, but with his size and, like I said, his catch radius and just that ability to have that my ball mentality and say, there's a football, I'm coming down with it will make him someone that will outplay his draft position. Continue to watch Oregon State. Don't flip the channel if you see them playing because they're not a top-tier team. Isaiah Hodgins is going from, oh, he could be draftable from this Oregon State team to a legitimate receiver prospect with elite ball skills, great size, and better route-running skills than most wide receivers that are big-bodied pass catchers. Last segment today, this is going to be a little bit of a quicker podcast than normal. I want to talk about Vita Vea, that 
He was everyone's kind of consensus top two defensive tackle in the 2018 class. I liked him as a first-round pick. Goes to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, deals with a nagging injury his entire rookie season. Kind of flashed later, but the Buccaneers season was kind of done um, over the last month of the year. This season, fully healthy, he has been outstanding at the nose tackle spot. On a Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense, it's played better, still not a great group, but under defensive coordinator Todd Bowles, I think the arrow is pointing up for this unit. According to Pro Football Focus, Vea has 27 quarterback pressures on 248 pass rushing snaps. And for a, a six foot four, almost 350 pound nose tackle, that's a great pass rush or uh, pressure rate, I should say. And he's outstanding against the run. He throws centers and guards off him when he needs to shed a block in the run game. Vita Vea to me has been very good and is kind of underappreciated right now, maybe because we're seeing a lot of defenses score points against his Tampa Bay Buccaneers team. I think he's kind of a franchise cornerstone at what maybe would be considered a position that isn't as important today at the nose tackle spot, but because he can create pressure, he has a good set of pass rushing moves and he's such a dominant run plugger at times I think he can really be a player that stays in Tampa Bay for a long time and earns a big second contract and is not just a one or a two down player for the Buccaneers. One other guy I want to talk about that I have to give my hats off to DK Metcalf from the Seattle Seahawks that everyone knows and I talked about and wrote at length about his bad agility drills and and what a unique combine he had 443 or 433 at 233 pounds, crazy vertical, crazy broad jump, and then the bad agility drill times dropped him to the last pick in the second round. I picked him as my number two selection to be the offensive rookie of the year, and and I don't know if he'll ultimately win that award. I think Kyler Murray is probably the front runner at this point with Gardner Minshew falling off a little bit, maybe even Josh Jacobs as well. But DK Metcalf will probably, on this track, get some offensive rookie of the year votes. He is in the perfect situation with Russell Wilson, who is to me, the best deep ball thrower in football, caught a touchdown over the weekend against Tampa Bay on a deep crosser where he did have to kind of change directions a little bit. But once you get him vertical and once he catches the football with a full head of steam, not very many cornerbacks are going to be able to catch him. And if they do bringing six foot four and 233 pounds of the turf is not, an easy task. So DK Metcalf, hats off to you. You had the slide. You had a lot of criticism after a so-so college career, the bad combine, and he's looking like one of the best young receivers in football. Along with one other guy I want to shout out quick, my number five overall player in the 2018 draft, my number easily my number one wide receiver that a lot of people had in the second or third round, Cortland Sutton. He has been a consistent big play threat in Denver. It hasn't mattered who the quarterback has been. Flashed as a rookie, there were some drops, but he was consistently either getting a defensive pass interference call or making a contested catch down the field. Had another touchdown over the weekend from Brandon Allen in his first career start in the NFL. Cortland Sutton, another big wide receiver, six foot four, 220 plus pounds, had an outstanding combine, somehow fell to pick number 40 or 
in the early stages of the first round, I don't know, I don't remember if he was number forty. I want to say number thirty seven overall rings a bell as well. Um, fell to the second round and has looked like the best second year wide receiver in the NFL. All right, that'll do it today. I'm Chris Trapasso. Thank you for listening. This was the Prospect Podcast.